So it's good to be back. Uh, thank you. It's good to see the front of your faces again, because Bonnie and I sit in the back, so it's always good to see, although you're all masked. I almost didn't re- recognize my own brother-in-law <laughs> sitting in the very front pew. Uh, there are two big screens here with lights, and I kind of feel like I'm in a tanning salon. I feel like I'm going to preach and gain a tan as I preach here this morning. So, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's good to be here. Uh, when Andrew called, of course, the main concern is for his son, uh, and pray that he's doing fine. Um, he said he couldn't smell, he couldn't taste, and, you know, that's never a good sign. Hopefully those things all come back uh, from the COVID, so prayers for him. Um, <clears throat> Andrew, I asked Andrew, I said, well, what's the text to preach on? He said, anyone you want. And I was like, okay, I like it. So, but here's what I want to tell you. What I did not do is I did not pull up an old sermon. I never pull up old sermons. Uh, every sermon needs to be new and fresh uh, for me. And hopefully if it's new and fresh for me, it's new and fresh for you. Although it's a familiar text to most of you, Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, that song from when you were a kid, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And I wanted to entitle this, Who Said Zacchaeus Was a Wee Little Man? <laughs> it's really important. So let's look at this, uh, this text. Let me pray, and then let's look at this wonderful text. Lord, we give you thanks for, this, uh, for your word. Every word um, that is written is precious and informative and teaches God. So help us to look closely at, at your word to learn and to grow. And I ask it and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is from Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> and he entered Jericho, meaning Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho, you remember, is uh, where, where, the, uh, where they're going in the story of the Good Samaritan, going down this Jerusalem is about 40 miles up here, 60 miles up high, and there's a long road that goes down to Jericho, and Jericho is the main city that goes to the east. So a lot of trade comes through, uh, comes through Jericho. And if a lot of trade comes through Jericho, who do you want to have there? Tax collectors. Okay? Because, okay, I'm not political, but I'm just going to say this. The government wants its money, Okay? It's just the way it is. It was true in Roman times, and it's true in modern times. Nothing, Ecclesiastes, doesn't Ecclesiastes say nothing new under the sun? And it needs to say in there, taxes included. (laughs) Okay. So, and he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, the first thing we want to do is look at this really, really important word in Scripture, behold. And it's so easy to just run over that word really quickly. And here's what the word, if you gave it a more literal translation, this is what it would, the more literal translation would be. Um, there. Pay attention. That's what the word means. Pay attention. So right from the beginning, 
we're told something about this story. Pay attention. So think about some places in Scripture where this word is used. So an angel comes to Joseph in the birth narrative and, and says to Joseph, Behold, pay attention, Joseph. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Why does Joseph need to pay attention? Because it's a virgin birth. It's not with you. And you're to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? Or how about in Matthew 2, 1? Behold, wise men came from the east. Listen up. Pay attention. There's these wise men coming from the east. So whenever we um, see the word behold, what's really important is the next few words. Okay? We don't have to get far into the text. Luke wants to call our attention to the fact that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. I think uh, this is the only chief tax collector in all Scripture. Tax collectors, all kinds of them, Matthew included, but chief tax collector. And that means that he has tax collectors under him. Now, you all probably know that tax collectors are not good people in the Scriptures, right? Right? But do you know why? I'll tell you why, if you don't know. The way they collected taxes. A tax collector made a contract with Rome, or Rome made a contract with a tax collector. And Rome would say, just for instance, just making all the numbers up, they'd say, uh, for your district, you owe $10,000 every year to us, to Rome. Rome doesn't care how you get it. Rome doesn't how much, care how much you charge everybody. All Rome wants is what? The check. They want their $10,000. So the tax collector goes out, and, and usually they're local. So they know what people make. And they look and they say, Goading, we're going to charge this much. Oh, Patterson, we're going to charge this much. Well, I'm just going to charge you whatever we need to charge you to make my $10,000 to give to Rome, Okay. Then the question comes into, how do I make money? You know how? You charge more. Because once you have your 10000 once you're on the road to your 10000 then whatever you charge people is gravy. And nobody knows how much Rome is asking. Now, we get a property tax bill in the mail, and I can look. I can look up and see how much you pay for property tax. I can... I can uh, uh, make a petition to the city and say, I'm paying too much. You can't do that with Rome. Rome makes a contract with these guys, and they get to say what, how much they get from you. And when you trade, they're going to charge you for that. When you bring in the camel, they're going to charge you for that. They're just going to charge and charge and charge and charge. So here's the basic thing. They're not liked because they work for Rome, and nobody likes Rome. They're not liked because they work with Gentiles, because everybody has to be, which makes them unclean. They're not liked because they have to work on the Sabbath a lot of the times. They're not liked because, you know what? When you read the word tax collector, I want you to read the word, he, may, he, he sets his own salary. They're rich because they set their own salary. Wow. Can you understand now why people don't like them? But, but here's why Luke says, pay attention, behold. So let me click this. 
Luke has just identified Zacchaeus the way the crowd identifies him. He's not Zacchaeus to the crowd. He doesn't have a name to the crowd. To the crowd, he is nothing more than a tax collector and rich. That's all they care about with Zacchaeus. We'll come back to, to, um, to uh, talk about identity at, at the end of the story. But it's important that you understand that the crowd identifies him. The crowd names him. The crowd has a word. Have you, ever, have you ever, when you grew up, did people have a name for you? Maybe it was a good name. Maybe it was a bad name in politics. You know, Trump always said, Sleepy Joe Biden. Because if you can name somebody, you can peg somebody. If you can identify them. And the crowd has done just that. And when he was seeking to see Jesus, that is Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, uh, to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, that word in Greek means two things, okay? It means in height. But it also means in, in terms of gravitas, in terms of who you are. Zacchaeus was a small man. He could have been six foot two, and the crowd still would have seen him as a small man because of the way they identified him. You're nothing, Zacchaeus. You're a small man because you're a tax collector and you're rich, and you are a tax collector and you're rich because you get it off of me. You are a small man, Zacchaeus. And here's what's really important, really important in this story. No one looks up to Zacchaeus. They don't look up to him physically because he's a short man, he's diminutive, and they don't look up to him in terms of respect. Nobody looks up to Zacchaeus. And you have to note that in this text. No one's looking up to him. And that's why he can't get through the crowd. I teach this text with uh, junior high and senior high groups. And I have a game that we play. Everybody gets in a circle and locks arms. And I pull one kid out. And I say to the one kid out of the circle, I say, your job is to get in the middle of that circle. It's hilarious. Because the kid on the outside tries to jump over people. That doesn't work. Then they try to go between the legs and they get their head caught between the legs. And, and they try to put... They can't do it. They can't do it. Have you ever tried to wiggle your way in ahead in a crowd? I have. I'm not proud of it. I used to ski all the time with my brother. You think we were going to wait in those long ski lines? No, you figured out a way to sort of wiggle your way to the front ahead of other people. You got your tips of your skis just in the right place. And you could do it. Wasn't proud of it, but you could do it. And Zacchaeus could have made his way in, especially if he was a small guy. He could have made his way in. But the crowd made sure that he was not going to see Jesus. 
because nobody looked up to him. Maybe you, so think about how like Zacchaeus you are. Maybe growing up, maybe now, you've been kept out. Certain circles you have been kept out of. You were kept out of the sports circle. You were kept out of the popular circle. You were kept out of the, uh, the smart people circle. You were kept out of the pretty people. What, what circles were you kept out of? You weren't invited to this party. Everybody else was, but you weren't. You remember those days? Maybe your kids go through those days now where they're excluded. And if you ever have felt that, or if you've ever watched your kid go through being excluded, then you know what Zacchaeus, his life is like. He's rich, but he's not looked up to. So Zacchaeus has a a plan. Uh, No one looks up to him, not literally and not figuratively. Nobody looks up to him. So he ran ahead and climbed up to a sycamore tree uh, to see Jesus. For he was about to pass that way. Now you see that guy running up there? That's not actually how they ran. You think like, well, how do the Middle Easterners run? Well, that, we'll, we'll call that an outer coat. And he, underneath that outer coat, he has what's called a tunic. And what they do to run is they lift that up. Because if you try to run fast in that, it's kind of you're going to end up on the ground, right? So they lift it up. And it's shameful for a man to run. To this day, my daughter who, and son-in-law who, and two granddaughters who are in the Middle East, uh, my daughter will say, you never will see a man run in the Middle East. It doesn't happen to this very day. And so Zacchaeus is running. And it's really important, this text, when you see that because it tells you that he has no shame. Nobody looks up to him anyway. So what does he care? He's going to run. And people go, well, that's shameful. Well, okay, well, that's what they're saying about him anyway. So he's going to run, and he's going to climb up into a sycamore tree. And I have a picture of two sycamore trees. I think both claim to be the original sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed up in. Okay, that's just the way they do it in the Middle East. This is where Zacchaeus, this is a tree that he climbed up in. Must be a very old sycamore tree. That's all I know. Okay, so men also don't climb trees in the Middle East. So he's acting very shamefully. But what does he have to lose, right? When you've been excluded, what do you have to lose? When nobody cares about you, what do you have to lose? When your friends on the block don't invite you to the party, what do you have to lose? You're hurt. Maybe you're angry. But he knows where Jesus is going. He knows the the path that Jesus is going. And when Jesus came to the place, and I like this picture, what's Jesus doing? Come on, what's he doing? He's looking up. Here's my question for you. Who ever has looked up to Zacchaeus? No one. No one ever looks up to Zacchaeus. Not physically and not spiritually. Not figuratively. No one looks up to Zacchaeus. And so in this text, we read that very, very important word. He looked up. 
What's interesting is when you read the scripture, you realize that Jesus never looks down on anyone. He looks up at Zacchaeus and he looks eye to eye with everyone, but he never looks down at anyone. And Jesus says to him, hurry and come down. Now that's where the pregnant pause is in this story. Because the crowd, what do you think the crowd is thinking? Here's what the crowd is thinking. He knows who Zacchaeus is, and Zacchaeus is going to get what he deserves. Jesus sees him, and Jesus is saying, hurry up and come down. Can you hear the parent voice in there? Stuart, get over here now. You knew it was bad when you got your first name used, and when your parents said, now, hurry up. It wasn't going to be good, right? Just not going to be good. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, first bad thing, hurry down. And the crowd is thinking, yeah, good. Zacchaeus is going to get what he deserves because he is a tax collector and he is rich and he's been taking it from us and Jesus is going to set it right. He's going to say to Zacchaeus, Stop taking so many taxes. Give some of it back. Let's see what happens. Jesus says, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. Now, this is not what the crowd expects at all. And and I, I, I highlighted two words there. The word stay. I don't like that translation because you know what it means? The word means abide. He doesn't go to his house for dinner. That's what I grew up thinking. He always went to his house for dinner. Probably included dinner because he's going to his house to stay there, to abide there. The word means abide. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And God, Jesus, is being with Zacchaeus. And he's going to abide. And the other word, this preposition, I really wish translations would just translate prepositions the way they should be, it it literally is in. I'm going to abide in your place of dwelling. And I think that's powerful, don't you? I'm not going to just stay there. I'm going to go in, and I am going to abide with you. I'm going to remain in you. I'm going to stay in your house. Now think about it. Everyone else kept Zacchaeus out. Remember that circle that I put, I tell kids, don't let him in. Don't let him in. Keep, you guys are in the circle. Keep that kid out. Everybody keeps Zacchaeus out. Jesus wants to go in. And I just think that's remarkable. Just in saying that, Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus is unlike any one else he has ever met. Nobody wants him in. Nobody wants him at their birthday party. Nobody wants him as a play friend. Nobody. And Jesus wants him in. In fact, Jesus will honor him because in the Middle East, when you go to somebody's house, you honor them. The person going honors them. Usually in America, we try to honor people who come to us but, but in the Middle East, when you go to somebody's house, you are honoring them. 
It's like if I showed up near your house after church, if I said, hey, I'm coming over to your house today, you'd say, uh, what an honor. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> if someone said that to me, I'd say, you better talk to Bonnie because she doesn't know you're coming over. <laughs> okay, I got this reminds me, I don't have this here, but this reminds me one of my worst things. Okay, early marriage story, okay? Those are always the best, right? Early marriage story. I come home from church one day from working. And I meet Bonnie at our, our house in Trenton, New Jersey. I open the door and Bonnie goes, Stuart, come in here now. <laughs> and I thought, uh-oh. She goes, somebody's here. I don't know who it is, but he showed up at the door with a pie and said that you had invited him to dinner. <laughs> yeah, not real good. And I said, oh, yeah, that's Tom from church. He's coming over for dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah, a little bit late, okay? Not so good. Bunny didn't want me in that night. So you can sleep outside tonight. So anyway, Jesus is here. Jesus say, I want to abide with you. I want to stay in your house. No one else is like this. Interesting story. Not too long ago, the Hyden Planetarium in New York City issued an invitation to all those who were interested in applying to be part of the crew of the first journey to another planet. Obviously, is sort of a they're doing sort of a mock-up thing here. Okay, so they want people. To, if you want to go to another planet, sign up. Eighteen thousand people applied. Eighteen thousand. They gave the applications to a panel of psychologists who examined them thoroughly, and the psychologists came to the conclusion that the vast majority of incidents, and I, wanna, I, want, I want you to read what they said, the vast majority of these people, oops, where those who applied did so because they were discouraged with their lives here and hoped they could find a new life someplace else. 18,000. Here's what we have to realize. People are on the outside. And they know it. And people are looking for a better life. And they think it's on another planet. Don't you think that's kind of sad? But they don't know where to find a better life. And that's just Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. Why does he receive Jesus joyfully? Because Zacchaeus has just found a better life. Zacchaeus has just found new life. Simply by Jesus saying, I want in and I want to abide with you. I think that is amazing. And don't you wish more people knew that Jesus just wants in? He wants into their life. And he wants to abide with them. And just knowing that. Just knowing that. 
is new life. At the same time, the crowd, whenever you read about the crowd in Scripture, be wary. The crowd is only good at the very, in the very first two chapters of any gospel. And then the crowd just degrades. Just want, so that by the end, what are they saying? Crucify. But if you watch the progression in the gospels of the crowd, the crowd just degrades. So that early on, it's amazing teaching. Amazing teacher. Amazing miracles. A little bit later, who is this guy? We know his mom and dad. Well, not his dad. We know his mom. We know his brother. We know his sister. Who are you to do this? Who are you to say this? And then down here, crucify him. Just crucify him. Really be careful of the crowd. Be careful of the crowd in your own life now. Remember, it's the crowd who identifies who Zacchaeus is. It's the crowd who says, you're a tax collector. It's the crowd who says, you're rich at our expense. It's the crowd who won't let him in. It's the crowd... And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And that word grumbled means, in the Greek, it means to express discontent in an emphatic way. They are not happy with Jesus letting Zacchaeus in. In fact, it makes them really mad. Grumbling, you know what grumbling is? Grumbling is what you do just loud enough for other people to hear it. Soft enough to make it think that it's just between me and Bonnie, but loud enough for me to say, well, Bonnie, are we really going to invite Jim over today? (laughs) Just loud enough for him to hear it. So he knows that, you know, I don't know, maybe not a good idea. And if you read about grumbling in Scripture, God never, never, never likes grumbling. It's really bad stuff. And when they saw it, they said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So notice they've, they've added another identity to Zacchaeus. Remember? At the very beginning, they identified him as a tax, chief tax collector and rich, and now they've added one more, and he's a sinner. And maybe you've been identified in your life in some really bad ways. Maybe justifiably so. Maybe you did cheat people. Maybe you did treat people roughly. Maybe you were not nice. And you were identified by the crowd that way. Maybe not justifiably so. Zacchaeus might have actually been a really nice guy. I don't know. But the crowd's going to identify him. And the crowd's going to identify you. And the crowd has probably identified you. And the crowd, you've probably lived with that your whole life. And they grumble. Simultaneously, I think it doesn't say this, but I think this all happened at the same time. They're over here grumbling. Zacchaeus is coming down. And it says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, oh, here's that word, behold. Look. He said, behold. 
He says, he says um, pay attention, Jesus. Okay? Pay attention, Jesus. Half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it full, fourfold. Pay attention, Jesus. Pay attention, Jesus, to the way I have been changed. That's what Zacchaeus is saying here. He's saying, pay attention. You invited me in. You want to abide with me. You want to remain with me. Everybody, nobody, nobody identified him as Zacchaeus. Jesus did. Zacchaeus, you come down now. But it wasn't a bad thing. I want to go into your house. Zacchaeus, pay attention, Lord. I have just found new life. This is gospel. I mean, this is gospel as richest, isn't it? Because Jesus wants to go in. Jesus wants to abide. Zacchaeus says, look, pay attention. I'm changing. I'm changing. And I'm a tax collector. When people learn that Jesus wants into their lives and to abide in them, it's a new life. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come. That word come, really interesting. You know what it really means? It means been born. That's what it means. It means has been born. Today salvation, and, and that, because salvation is always about birth, is it not? Right? It's about a new birth. I've been born again. And, and it's in the text it just doesn't make sense to the English reader if that's how we've been, huh, been born. What do you mean? It makes much more sense to say it has come. But it means to be born. Today's salvation has been born to this house. And house represents who Zacchaeus is. Since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now there's two things real quick. It's been born into this house. Salvation has been born Zacchaeus has been born again. Zacchaeus has been born again. We have to see that marvelous piece of this text that way. And then look at how Jesus identifies him. How does Jesus identify him? As a son. Son of Abraham. I want you, when you read the New Testament, I want you to notice that in almost every pericope, in every story in Scripture, it starts out talking about a paralytic. But when Jesus talks, that paralytic becomes a son. He looks at the paralytic who comes to the roof, and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Actually, in that text, it's child. Your sins are forgiven. There's a woman with a flow of blood. Remember that one in Mark? And it's a woman, a woman, a woman. But when Jesus speaks to her, he says, daughter. There's a sick child dying. He says, child. It's amazing. Jesus always identifies us in terms of relationship to God. Here in relationship to Abraham. But that means in relationship to the promises. Abraham's the bearer of the promise. Do you know how you have been identified by God? 
So whatever the crowd, however the crowd has identified you, forget it. Not true. Because Jesus never looks down at you. Jesus always looks up to you or looks at you in the eye. And that's where they're at right now. They're looking eye to eye. Zacchaeus has to come down to see Jesus eye to eye. But there's an interesting other thing going on here. You notice what it says? He says, since he also is a son of Abraham. Also, like all of you, crowd. He's one of you. No, he's not. No, he's one of you. No, he's not. He's the son of Abraham. All right. For the son of man has came to seek and save the lost. Well, we all know that means Zacchaeus. But wait a second. He's just like all of them, right? The son of Abraham. So they're in the crowd, they're probably going, so are you saying we're sinners? We're sons of Abraham. Are you saying we're sinners? What's the answer to that? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus came to save, seek and save the lost. You know why he didn't come to seek and save the righteous? Do you know why? Because there are no righteous. Not one. So scripture says, none are righteous. Romans, not even one. So when you see that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, he means you. But you're a son you're a daughter or you're a child because it's always in relational terms. I want to I close and then come up with some uh, takeaways for you, but I want to close with this interesting story. In his book, Identity Matters, and I, got, I have to show you this bike. Oh, he's the son of Abraham. <clears throat> okay. Okay, I want to show you that. It's a girl Schwinn bike, okay, blue Schwinn bike. So in his book, Identity Matters, uh, Christian author Terry Wardle tells a story from his childhood. Terry had a hand-me-down, fixed-up, big, blue girl Schwinn bike. Terry's a boy, okay? But he's going to be riding a girl's bike. One day, his mom finally let him venture outside his own neighborhood, And Wardle tells what happens. I had broken free of the constraints of my little neighborhood. And now I was on my own to experience a grand adventure. I felt like somebody, even on a big blue girl's Schwinn bike with saddlebags. And as I crossed the railroad tracks and then rumbled over a small creek on a single lane bridge... The bridge, made of wood and steel, was no big deal. But on that day, long ago, it became a bridge too far. As I began to cross, four teenage boys stepped into the far side of the bridge. I intended to pass by. They had other things in mind. And you can imagine... Four boys seeing another boy on a girl's bike, right? Come down here now, Zacchaeus. One of the boys grabbed my handlebars and spun my bike to an abrupt stop. Hey, where do you think you're going? He snarled. 
and other boys chimed in. Yeah, kid, where do you think you're going? Instantly, I knew that they intended to beat me up. I was petrified. I couldn't fight back or break free to run, so I stood there frozen. Suddenly, one of the bullies asked, What's your name? I answered him in a high-pitched, pre-adolescent, quivering voice, Terry Wardle. (laughs) The three remaining teenagers got a bit silent, and they looked at one another nervously. Are you related to Tom Wardle? Tom was a much, much older cousin who happened to play defensive end on the high school football team. But I lied and told him that Tom was my brother instead of a cousin. They immediately backed off. One of the boys straightened out my shirt and started saying, Hey, we were just funning you. No harm. You're a great kid. If anyone ever gives you any trouble, you tell us and we'll take care of you. This was a formative day for me. I learned that simply being Terry Wardle was not enough to be accepted, respected, or safe. In the panic of the moment when the cry for safety was the loudest, I lied. Yes, everything turned out okay, but I had pretended to be something I was not or they would have beat me up. I had learned that it is unsafe, and in this unsafe and ungenerous world, that attaining any degree of success in this life would demand much more than simply being me. Have you ever felt like that? That being you is not enough. Being Zacchaeus was not enough. Because the crowd saw him in a certain way. And the crowd labeled him a certain way. And it wasn't enough to just be Zacchaeus. Nobody's going to invite him in. People are going to keep him outside the circle. So have you ever learned that it was not enough to be you, to be respected, to be exact, uh, accepted, and to be safe? That's true for many of our kids. And so you know what they do? They pretend to be someone they're not especially in the culture today. Have you ever pretended to be someone you're not? You pretended to have more money than you actually have. You pretended to have more education than you actually have. You pretended to be more popular than you actually were. You pretended to have more knowledge than you actually have. You pretended to be somebody else because you refused to believe or you didn't know that you could believe that Jesus wanted in and that you were a son and daughter and child of the king. Like Terry Waddle, we've all found ways to base our identity and significance in something else besides our deepest identity that's found in Christ. Because quite literally, Christ is our older brother. Did you know that? You're a child, you're a son, and you're a daughter. And you don't need to be afraid. You never have to be afraid. You may get beat up, but you don't need to be afraid. 
remember Daniel and the, and the, the Shadrach and Abednego and the fire furnace? They weren't afraid. They said, we don't, we don't know. Maybe we'll burn up. But maybe God will rescue us. We don't know. But we know who we are. You don't ever have to be afraid. You're a son, daughter, and child of the king. So what are some of my, some of my takeaways? Well, first of all, if you haven't invited Jesus in, I encourage you to invite Jesus into your, into your life. Bring him in. Because that's where new life begins. Zacchaeus, just upon knowing that Jesus wanted in, just knowing that made all the difference in the world. There are plenty of people around here that if you want to invite Jesus into your life, would say, yeah, let's pray. Or come up after service and, and I'll pray with you too. Be careful of the crowd. Don't let the crowd, don't let others define you. Listen to how Jesus defined you, defined you in his word. We are so into the crowd defining us. I'll t- tell you how preachers let it happen. Preachers find themselves to find us a good preacher. It's a bad definition. It's a bad way to define myself, isn't it? Because if I preach good or bad, as long as I preach the word, I'm a child. That's what's important. I'm a child. Lastly, you don't need to be to pretend to be someone you are not. Your son, daughter, child of the king. That's sufficient. It's more than sufficient. Because as a son, daughter, child, you inherit the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us to remember that can't let the crowd define us and we don't have to pretend to be somebody that we're not and we just need to find our identity in you because you want in and you want to abide in and abide and when that happens we are born anew salvation is born in us and it's all here in this text the whole gospel is here in this Zacchaeus text and help us to remember that as we look at other people. And if we have defined other people as other than a, someone created in the image of God, forgive us. And help us to go to that person and, and ask for forgiveness. And help us to invite people into our lives. And into our homes, just like Jesus does. And I ask this and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.